Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Doing good. I was I was solo parenting my child uh, Monday and Tuesday of this week. Kelsey oh. was yeah. Kelsey was in on a business trip, and Louisa got sick, uh, and oh, so, no. so I had to take care of her. Um, and then wait while she was well, so before she could go back to daycare, because you know you got to be like fever free yeah. for a certain period of time. So it's been it's been an adventure. It's been an adventure for me this week. But you know what? We're all stronger for it. Um, I'm really glad I got the time to spend with my kid. I'm glad my job was flexible. I'm glad that I was able to get everything I needed to, be, to get done done. But we have a show miraculously uh, for this we do. week. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about about an issue regarding uh, different levels of school boards. It goes all the way up to the national level and down all the way to the JCPS level with everything in between uh, an issue uh, related to safety in school boards. Jasmine's going to talk to us a little bit about the West End Partnership, the West End Opportunity Partnership, which is something we talked about during the legislative session. I think it showed up in a quick hit once or twice, but there's some stuff that's been going on regarding some of the board uh, members turning over, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, we have a very sh- a short COVID-19 update and then a few quick hits. So that's the show for this week. But before we get started, we did want to mention again that it is it is October, which is the month that we are focusing on Patreon and and trying to get more people to subscribe to our show. So Jasmine, we we did okay this week. We got a few more people. I was pretty happy with uh with that. You know, so a couple of people increased their pledge to make sure that they get to the five dollar level so that they can qualify for what Jasmine. What do people? Uh, what are people going for this uh this month this year uh, with our Patreon emphasis? A free my old Kentucky podcast T shirt. Wow. What an exciting thing! Now they're what is, brand new. We've never had them before. We haven't. We haven't. So, so ha- we we had a winner last week, and we reached out and, and we got a, a hold of her. And and how how did that process go? Is it easy? Yeah, super easy. So yeah, you if you you know start giving five dollars a month or increase your gift to five dollars a month, then you also qualify for the rest of October, which I think there are. There's one more Wednesday in October, so show up this week, and we will get you a t-shirt. Now, something else is going on as well, and that's that we're going to have our very first ever Patreon-exclusive content that will be coming out soon, uh, probably as soon as this week, where we are doing, I guess I've, I've come up with the name The Border Bonanza, where we're going to do our best over the next few months to talk to different people from Kentucky's border states about the state government inside of their own state. So we have... On tap this week, we have two folks that we're interviewing. We have Jeff Smith, who is from Missouri. He's a former candidate for U.S. House. Um, another in- a very interesting story. Uh, you'll have to listen to learn more about Jeff. And Dan Cannon of Indiana. Now, if you live in Louisville, you probably heard of Dan Cannon before. He's a civil rights attorney. He ran for U.S. Congress uh, in the 9th District, which is right across the river. We're going to be talking to him about Indiana uh, and we have plenty of other people lined up to talk to us. I'm really excited to get into like, our Appalachia section where we're going to have Virginia and we're going to have West Virginia. Uh, you know, we got to find some folks in, in Illinois, Ohio, and Tennessee, but I've got a couple of leads there. So we're, we're going to be doing this over the next couple of months. I'm very excited for it. So, you know, join our Patreon. All you have to do is give $1 a month to qualify for this. So, you know, just get in there, get your name in there. And then, you know, maybe next year, October rolls around that you've been getting the dollar taken out of your account so that you can listen to the border bonanza. But then we have another giveaway. What are we going to give away Jasmine next year? Like sweaters? 
cardigans i don't know what are we giving away i don't know who knows robert <laughs> depends on how much patreon support we get <laughs> exactly whatever we give away next year october runs around and you're like you know i've been given one dollar a month i'm gonna give five now that could happen to you so so give a dollar a month to, to qualify to get the the border bonanza or five dollars a month to qualify for the t-shirt giveaway so without any further ado i am going to do the selection for our drawing so are you ready jasmine I'm ready. I'm going to hit the button now. Carly Mutertees. Oh, yeah. Former guest of the show. Uh, uh-huh. She's in Lexington, uh, a big advocate for for educators. Um, really, uh, that's great. Carly's the best, and I'm very happy that she won. So, uh, yes, Carly, congratulations that you won. Uh, and whoever shows up next week, we're glad that you've won too, even though you haven't won yet. All right, Jasmine, let's get to our show. I guess I'm going to go first. I'll talk to us a little bit about school board safety and the conflict about it. So so Jasmine, this is a this story that's a, a few weeks old and, and we missed it. We didn't talk about it when it was going on, but but I feel like it's kind of an important issue and I wanted to make sure that we addressed it on some level um, on the show. So a few weeks back, the National School Boards Association, which is the, the organization that kind of uh, organizes all of the school boards, the state school boards across the whole country. They wrote a letter to President Biden asking for federal help providing security at school board meetings across the country. The letter cited violent outbreaks at school board meetings in many states, and their letter specifically cited incidents in California, Georgia, and Florida regarding mask mandates and discussions of critical race theory. They talked about an arrest that happened in Illinois. Somebody did a Nazi salute at a, a meeting in Michigan, and then there were shutdowns of meetings uh, across the country in Washington, Texas, Wisconsin, Wyoming, and Tennessee, as well as many other states. In the National School Board Association's letter, they did not specifically mention Kentucky, but but these events have been happening here, and we, we've talked about them, especially in Jefferson County, which is what we've talked about with all the news coverage, but they've been happening in, happening in other places across the state as well. So, so yeah, you remember a few of the things that we talked about at uh, uh, you know JCPS school board meetings, right, Jasmine? Yeah, I, I mean, we've talked about like someone directing a threat towards the superintendent and meetings having to end early um, because of ruckus. And yeah, it's been pretty crazy. Yeah, it has been pretty crazy. And I've heard about other things that have gone on. The the, the Herald Leader has been covering some of this in, at, in a county in eastern Kentucky. I don't remember if it's Perry or Floyd, one of those uh, down in southeastern Kentucky, which has had a real issue with with a piece of their curriculum that has become very controversial. So, yes, these types of things have been happening across the state of Kentucky. So in response to the letter, Attorney General Merrick Garland deployed the FBI to coordinate with local law enforcement to provide a safe environment for school boards to hear from constituents and do their business. So, you know, whenever the National School Board Association asks President Biden to do something, that is the next logical step he tasks his attorney general who's the highest ranking law enforcement officer in the entire country and then he uses his resources which at the federal level are the fbi to do some of this work so so you know president Biden responded uh mayor garland responded and and they were like we're going to start planning to do something so this is all news that kind of happened a few weeks ago and the reason we're talking about it is because the kentucky school board association wrote its own letter condemning this action by the federal government So Josh Schulte of KSBA said, quote, the attempts to employ federal resources, 
however well-intentioned, may result in a further distrust of the public of its elected leaders. It may widen that divide we're seeing on a lot of very controversial issues, unquote. So there's more. Uh, it goes on to say, quote, these behaviors, and by that they mean inappropriate and illegal actions towards school boards, these behaviors are troubling, and their seriousness should not be diminished. Thankfully, they appear to represent the isolated actions of a small number of people. Illegal acts, violence, and intimidation of any public official will not be tolerated, and districts will continue to work closely with local law enforcement to address issues of public safety, unquote. So basically, the KSBA says, you know, by the federal government doing something, it's going to cause people to distrust these elected officials, and then kind of said, like, local law enforcement has been able to handle this in the past. So that is what the state school board said. Uh, and as I mentioned in the lead, we have the national school board. Now we have the state school board. And we're going all the way down to the local level. The Jefferson County School Board is a place where a large number of protests have occurred and led to, you know, you mentioned it, uh, you know, Marty Polio was threatened. A, uh, you know, a different member of the school board was individually threatened. A meeting had to get shut down. And those are just three of the things that have happened. And that led to a school board member, James Craig, who's a member of the Jefferson County School Board. He tweeted out, I'm frustrated with the Kentucky School Board Association this week. And I know more than a handful of people who share that sentiment. When the home of our vice chair was vandalized recently, we didn't see a statement from KSBA. When our superintendent's life was threatened recently, we didn't see a statement from KSBA. When protesters derailed two of our board meetings in in recent months, we didn't see a statement from KSBA. But now, when the federal government steps in to address these growing threats, KSBA issues a statement. It's disheartening, to say the least. So that is from uh, the Jefferson County School School Board, um, a one member of the Jefferson County School Board, which is kind of to say, hey, uh, you know, somebody's actually out here trying to help us out. And, uh, you know, our partner on the state level, uh, you know, kind of threw us under the bus here. And, and that was something that the, the Jefferson County School Board uh, member here did not did not seem to appreciate. Another thing to mention in the midst of this is that the actions taken by President Biden and Attorney General Garland have become kind of a pet issue on the right. Mm-hmm. Merrick Garland, you know, released his letter and, and outlets like Fox News, the New York Post, the National Review, and I'm sure many of the seedier outfits on the right blasted the move. I don't really check, like, what are some, I don't know, like the Daily Caller and the, I don't even know. There's like other ones that are that are bad. I don't. The boy, Breitbart is that so? Breitbart thing. is the thing. I, I don't even know what these things are anymore. Dan Boingingo or whatever his name is. Like, yeah, I'm sure all of these. All, yes, all of these people, Newsmax, all of these people, I'm sure have weighed in in the same kind of way, where they blasted the move, saying that, um, saying that much of what the National School Board Association uh, cited as problems was really just, in their opinion, political speech. But really, anybody who read their letter where they went through like point by point and pointed out all of the things that had happened across the country, uh, you know, if, if you think that brandishing a flagpole as a weapon and waving it at people who are elected school board meters or making, you know, true threats of violence, if you think those are protect, protected speech, then I guess that's your opinion. But that's not what the Supreme Court has said. And that's not, you know, I'd guess what common sense would state as well. I mean, this is violence and and things that are very dangerous uh and and deserve some sort of some sort of level of protection so jasmine with all of that said you know we have the national school board and and kind of the jefferson county school board on one side and then you kind of got the kentucky state school board and you've got like all of these kind of like conservatives on on another side i mean what do you make of all this do you what do you do you think it's important that we have some sort of protection for our school board uh our school boards as they're trying to meet i mean what do you think the solution is i mean what 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 about this what do you think about all this 
Yeah, I think this is really difficult because I'm, you know, usually not a person who, like, wants more law enforcement in any kind of space. But, I mean, this has definitely been, like, a growing problem everywhere. And that kind of, like, has come up all of a sudden. You know, we, we used to not have problems at these regular school board meetings that happen or that many people even showing up for them. And so it really is an issue and people do need protection. And I'm also not sure like if they would get that security without someone stepping in because I mean, the police department, at least in Louisville would say, Hey, we're understaffed. We can't, this isn't like our number one priority. Right. And so having the FBI come in to coordinate with local law enforcement, that might be helpful. Um, Often when that happens, when the FBI steps in, sometimes things move a little more quickly. (laughs) So um, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's really difficult and we probably do need some kind of security at those meetings at this point. Yeah, uh, you're exactly right, Jasmine. I, I mean, it is such a thorny issue and trying to figure out the best way to deal with it is something uh, that we, we have to do. And like leaders have to lead, right? And that's the thing. We're we're just people on a podcast. You know, if you gave us the authority, we could probably come up with something that's better than nothing. Uh, but, but leaders have to lead in this situation and, and being able to, to find a way that protects the rights of people to make uh, you know, make their opinions heard to school boards, eat no matter what they are. That's important. But being able to do it in a safe manner in a way that doesn't increase violence for anybody is also important. And, and you know, anybody that's lived in the city for more than a year understands that, you know, more police being there is not necessarily the best, the best action. You know, it's important to say that the attorney general's statement and the, uh, the letter, the letter that the attorney general released, it didn't lay out specific strategies. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that post more cops at the meetings is necessarily going to be the solution they come up with. The FBI was was sent to kind of like coordinate with local law enforcement to kind of come up with the best way to do it. Um, but yeah, that's something that uh, that that we we really do need to figure out. I mean, I, I did see something that said that the the next meeting of the the school board, which I think actually might be tonight, um, is not going to include a public comment section. And that's too mm-hmm, bad, that's you know, and, and that's something... When they we have talk- to submit comments, like, with a word limit by email or, or something. Yeah, and and one of the things that I did talk about whenever we talked about the, the meeting getting canceled was that there were people who sh- were showing up to, like, make... I mean, there's people in suits, like, it looked like students who were, like, dressed up, ready to make their, you know, opinion heard, as is their right as a citizen of the city and as of the state. And, like, that, those type of people need to be heard from. The people on both sides, all sides of the issue, who are ready to do this responsibly, like, because of the actions of these people, that right is being taken away from those people. And and that's too bad. Uh, the, the Kentucky School Board Association seems to think that local law enforcement is doing a great job. But, I mean, I think that runs counter to what we've seen here in Louisville. And, and it is the case that some of these things are really heated out in the state. And yet, you know, law, local law enforcement may be sufficient out there. But in Louisville, we are having this problem. And the Kentucky School Board Association, it, it speaks for all school boards, including the Jefferson County School Board. Um, and it just it feels like a little bit like Louisville is getting left behind again. So, yeah, I, I do think that the Kentucky School Board statement was definitely inadequate or just not helpful. Yeah, you didn't have to say anything. <laughs> 
<laughs> and they did. Uh, and that's too bad. Uh, and, and, you know, the Kentucky School Board Association does a lot of really good stuff. Um, their, their leadership on some of the mask guidelines uh, in Kentucky when that was going on after the special session was really great. Mm-hmm. They're really pushing for that. And I think that they were successful in getting nearly every school board to, to, to uh, you know, you know, mandate masks. So that was really great. They do a lot of good things, but this was not one of them. All right, Jasmine. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Catch us up on that issue. Uh, I didn't want, you know, I I think that conservatives are kind of dominating this issue because they're the ones that are talking about it. When I think like this is an important issue uh, for everybody and keeping our school boards safe is something that I think everybody should, should have an opinion on. All right, Jasmine, talk to us a little bit about the Louisville urban league and the West in opportunity partnership. All right. So this past week, two Louisville Urban League executives, Sadiqa Reynolds, who's the president of the Louisville Urban League, and Christina Shadel, who's the director of investment, they resigned from the West End Opportunity Partnership Board. We've talked about this before, but you may not know that we've talked about it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what the West End Opportunity Partnership is. Basically, this is what the General Assembly created during the 2021 session. We called it the West End TIF bill. Um, But basically, that bill would allow future tax revenue to be collected and then used to subsidize new development in the West End. So once the partnership raised $30 million in seed money, they would establish a TIF. Um, We've talked about that in this context. And also, we've talked about it with the YUM Center, that's tax increment financing where city officials will look at how much the area is producing in taxes currently and then using that number as their benchmark 80 percent of new tax revenue over that amount would go to the partnership over the next 20 years and then that money would be used for western development and would be used for encouraging businesses to locate there another part of the bill was that homeowners would get a refund of any property tax increase over a certain number of years, which is supposed to protect the, you know, the people who already live there from displacement um, during you know, new developments and things like that. So David James, who is the Metro Council president, um, at a time this year, he was a candidate for mayor but withdrew from the race, But he is also the interim board chair for the partnership, and he confirmed that Reynolds and Shadle resigned from the board. Sadiqa Reynolds with the Louisville Urban League issued a statement and said that the board needs to take time to understand unintended consequences, especially the possibility of displacing current residents. And she noted that 75% of Weston residents are renters. So, you know, that, that property tax increase protection wouldn't apply to a lot of people there because it's majority renters. And she also urged David James and the rest of the board to give residents an opportunity to be heard and to incorporate their feedback in decisions that the partnership makes. You know, some residents have pushed back against this partnership. They've argued that many of the people on the board have been previously involved with organizations that have been like working on this and haven't delivered on promises to bring development to the West End in the past. Some residents also have concerns that the types of development that the TIF bill might bring won't be what they need and that basic needs such as um, grocery stores and, and things like that, that those needs might not still be met. And so those are 
some of the things that residents and advocates for the West End have their biggest concerns about. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, we've talked about this entire process quite a bit, and it, it is very clear that, you know, this was a piece of Republican leadership in the legislature trying to respond to um, the, the, you know, basically the protests last year that stemmed out of the Breonna Taylor killing and that they, uh, you know, they one of their responses was to create this tiff, and and it, this was a Republican idea, I believe, but it did earn the support of many of the folks in the legislature, especially Senator Gerald Neal, who is, um, you know, the senator for for the West End and for lots of places in Louisville, and th- yeah, so I I think Sadiqa Reynolds actually she tweeted today it's Sadiqa. She, I, I have always wondered that. So Sadiqa Reynolds, um, she, she, I think her, her statements are really important, which is, I don't think she's necessarily saying that development is bad, but what she's saying is that we have to incorporate the feedback of residents to hear what type of development they want mm-hmm. and to, you know, I think that a lot of people fear that they're just going to like displace a lot of the people that move that live in the West end and then try to build like Nulu West or something like that. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I think what she's saying is that the residents there want more grocery stores, want more community spaces for the people that already live there. Like there's a, there's a vision for what this could be um, that exists already that has been built by the people who already live there. And that's what they need to build towards. Um, so I kind of think that her, uh, you know, Sadiqa Reynolds kind of resignation was a little bit of a warning more than like saying, you know, I'm I'm checked out of this process altogether. So we'll we'll be interested to see what the response is here. You know, I do think that there's a set of people that are just going to be opposed to development no matter what. Um, but I do think that there is a way that this could be, you know, kind of saved or moved in the right direction. So I don't know. What do you think about that, Jasmine? Do you think that this is something that can be successful if done the right way, or do you think it's just kind of doomed to fail? No, I think it can be successful if done the right way. And there's kind of a second piece of this story that is like the Louisville urban league, like made this statement about their concerns, but the resignation may have also had to do with something else. Um, So David James said that Sadiqa Reynolds membership on the board of the federal reserve bank of St. Louis Louisville branch did not allow her to serve on the partnership board um, because of like a federal reserve internal rule. But WFPL obtained a memo from the federal reserve stating that they couldn't have a member on the board of the partnership at all, even though that was part of the bill. Um, And they said that it was beyond the federal reserves, federal authority and mission. And so this is something that, the partnership and the general assembly needed to fix. And so that may also have to do with why yeah. she resigned from the board. Well, that would make a lot more sense to, I mean, not maybe more sense, but that also is an important piece here. It always felt a little weird to me that the, the federal reserve was included here. I guess they needed them as a partnership, like a partner in the, like in the, in the partnership because, you know, they're important for the, for the way that it would be financed, I guess it would make sense. But I, yeah, it would mm-hmm. always kind of felt a little strange. Um, maybe they could make somebody like ex officio. I don't know. There's, it does seem like right. something. And, yeah. and they recommended 
someone um, who is involved in like housing in Louisville, mm-hmm. um, Sadiqa Reynolds recommended that Bashir appoint her in her place. So, I mean, it, it felt like she's not just like trying to leave this project high and dry. She just, there may be reasons that she couldn't serve on the board, but she also has these concerns and wants it to be done the right way. Yeah, she surfaced some stuff, even if the reason that she resigned was, you know, some this like technical thing. I think she surfaced some stuff that definitely needs to be discussed yeah. in, in the partnership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I feel a little bit in the same way I feel about like Brady Industries and most of like 2017, 2018 time. It's like there's a lot of warning bells that are ringing in my head about this entire process, but I still hope it's successful. Like I hope it's I hope it works out, um, even if there's some stuff here that, you know, you know, protecting homeowners instead of like uh, dealing with renters, which is a really big problem because, you know, if you protect the equity of, of homeowners and then, you know, they are able to, you know, retain their their buildings, improve them, kick all the renters out and then, you know, have a lot of people move in that make a lot more money like that isn't good for the West End. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's not what we want to see. And, and it does seem like something that the bill set up to protect. So, you know, that that's something. I, I hope that they get this straightened out. Obviously, with Brady Industries, they didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they didn't get that straightened out. But I really do hope. And it seems like that they have the right kind of leadership as opposed to, you know, Craig Bouchard <laughs> at Brady Industries to, to kind of straighten this out. I have, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think David James and the, the leaders in the West End Opportunity Partnership stand a much better chance uh, than the folks that read, led Brady to, to be successful. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else about this, Jasmine? Nope. I think that's it. All right, quick COVID update. So COVID metrics do continue to improve, but I will tell you that the decline isn't happening as fast as the rise. So it seems like, you know, we went up very, very fast. If you remember from like the, you know, kind of middle of August, really the beginning of August until about the middle of September, it just exploded upwards. And like every week we were just seeing like a huge increase in the number of cases uh, crossed over a big threshold when really a bunch of our hospitals were overwhelmed. It was very scary. Um, We are definitely on the way back down, but I was kind of hoping that the way back down would be just like that, where we just like the bottom fell out of COVID. And by now we'd be seeing like the amounts of COVID we saw in the early summer. That's not the case. We are still coming down, though. And as of Tuesday, we're down to about 1,700 daily cases in the seven-day average, about 1,850 in the 14-day average. And that's about 19% better than it was a week ago and about 55 to 60% better than it was at the peak of the caseload um, during the Delta surge. So, so, you know, less than half or right at about half of what we saw uh, at the worst of the worst. So... As of today, I actually was able to look at the map today. 48 counties are out of the red zone. And the red zone is, of course, uh, 25 cases per 100,000 population. Uh, That's as of Wednesday. Uh, Yesterday, Tuesday, there were only 38. So 10 more counties went into the orange or yellow as of Wednesday. And that's more than double than what we had last week. And, And we really, we are poised to see a bunch more of these counties drop into the orange in the next week. Like Jefferson County, where we're at, we're at 27.6, you know, Boyle County's at 25.7, Madison County's at 29, Jessamine County's at 26.9. You know, there's a lot more um, like this 
that are Clinton's at 29.4 uh, all over the state. Uh, Bell, 26.9. I'll quit reading this now. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of counties that are just right on the precipice. And over the next few days or, you know, by the time we talk again next week, that they will probably be into the orange or even into the yellow if there are smaller counties. So so that is something to, to look forward to. I think where we're going to see a lot more. It's, it's going to be a lot prettier map. Um, that that we'll be seeing and not that big block of red that we've been looking at for the past several months. You know, the the truth is, though, a lot of the population is concentrated in a small number of cities or a small number of counties. And in those counties, things are, in fact, getting better. In Louisville, there was a dramatic decline in the number of cases week over week. We are down to we were down to eighteen hundred cases versus twenty six hundred last week. That's a 30 percent decrease in one week. That's very good. And last week we were like, oh, we're, we're down. I think we're through that data blip. Um, but that seems like a good number. And we went down substantially from that. So hopefully we see that again. You know, I'd love to get us down into that uh, that yellow or that green area even. So Fayette County also is uh, another uh, success story so far this week. Fayette County actually exited the red. Jefferson County has not quite met that that threshold yet. But Fayette County, their, their seven-day average is down to just 93 cases. And that's a 26% decline from last week. So Louisville, Louisville and Lexington both, you know, more than a quarter fewer cases this week versus last week. The death rate from COVID seems to be down from the Delta high, but it's still jumping around a lot. Uh, the 14-day average is is 12% below the high water mark, but it's kind of been ticking up in the past few days. You know, the the seven-day average is just all over the place, but but the you know the the 14-day average, you know, we were more than 40 deaths per day uh, in early October. We were down to like 35 or so, and we're kind of just stuck there. I, it's kind of hard to say when we're going to see a, a substantial decline that that ma- maintains that level of of of, um, uh, of low amount. So anyways, that was the death rate. Hospitalizations fell significantly last week as well. We're down to a seven-day average of 1,384 patients for COVID-19. That's about half of the all-time high, which happened a couple months ago of 2616. So, so we're, we're at more uh, about half of that number. And also, this is something I mentioned last week. I said, you know, hospitalizations have come down, but they're still above the winter peak. We are below that winter peak now. The winter peak was 1856, and we're at 1384. So we're actually pretty substantially under that as well. So hopefully this trend continues moving in the right direction. I will say anecdotally, I talked to my dad who works at UofL Hospital, and he said it is a lot better, at least when it comes to COVID at that hospital. So that's one anecdote for one hospital. Um, Anyways, and just one man's opinion of of that hospital's operations, too. All right. So uh, that's uh, the good news. The the not as good news is that vaccinations continue to decrease. And it does seem like we're on this trajectory when, when COVID is bad. More people are freaked out and want to get vaccinated. Uh, and as COVID gets better, uh, fewer people actually want to get vaccinated. So we're at only about 3,000 people getting vaccinated per day. We might even be down to about 2,500. We're about at the same spot now where we were in, in July when COVID looked like it was over and basically nobody, people that hadn't gotten vaccinated yet were like, I guess I don't have to. We saw a pretty substantial increase in vaccinations as case counts got a lot higher. We are seeing case counts gradually decline. 
week over week. So, you know, it is the case that once you've been vaccinated, you can as vaccinated. A lot of people are getting their boosters. Uh, Moderna got approved for boosters, so I don't know if I'm going to be getting mine pretty soon as well. Could be happening. Um, but, you know, uh, we are still getting new people every day that get vaccinated. So we are at 54% of Kentuckians that have completed the vaccine series and 62% have gotten at least one shot. So that's that's not so bad. You know, we are, we are continuing to make a lot of progress. We're pretty close to the national average. There's a lot, a lot of states and, and, you know, more democratic states that are doing a lot better than us when it comes to vaccinations. But there are, um, in our region, we are among the better states. You know, Illinois is doing really well. Virginia is doing really well. But when you compare us to the southern states um, and really a lot of the Midwestern states that are around us, we, we're doing substantially better than them. So, you know, that that's, that's something to be proud of. But, of course, we need to keep pushing and, and doing better there. So, uh, I don't know. It was another pretty good week for COVID. Uh, I do wish things were improving more quickly, but it's it's always go good to go in the right direction. So it's it's better than a lot of the times we were talking about this in August or September. Jasmine, any COVID anecdotes for us this week? I don't have any COVID anecdotes oh, this man. week. All right. Well, very good. Uh, then we will go to our quick hit. So just to catch up on something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Kentucky State University is going to request $23 million from the state to cover operating shortfalls. Aaron Thompson, who is the former and current current interim president at KSU, and he's also the chair of the Council on Postsecondary Education, he said that they were going to learn their lessons this go-around. Uh, you know, we talked about this story a couple weeks ago, Kentucky State University being in a really tough spot um, with the president looking like he was doing not a great job there, and then the board kind of also not looking like they were doing the best job there. Um, and we talked a lot about the, the individual struggles of Kentucky's only public HBCU, um, so that's something, you know, if you want the background, you should go listen there. Um, it, 23 million bucks is, is a nice chunk of change, but Kentucky has an all time high rainy day account. This is a one time stop. I really, really hope that the state government does not put up too much of a fight when it comes to, to paying this money. Uh, KSU is important. It's an important institution to the state. Uh, and I really hope that they, they move forward with that. I agree. All right, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. Jasmine. <laughs> All right, the University of Kentucky is going to purchase about one-third of its electricity from a solar plant that's being operated by Kentucky Utilities, and that's going to account for like 44% of the output from the plant. Um, This is a long time in coming. Uh, The Sustainability Department of UK has been pushing for an increased, uh, you know, reliance on solar energy or renewable forms of energy for a long time. Jasmine, when we were there, uh, UK generated a lot of its own power at a Mm coal-fired power plant in the middle of campus. Uh, I can say for st- that students for at least 15 years have been pushing for this. Um, I'm using that as a, a timeline because that was when I showed up and joined the movement. I can't speak too much for before. I can't speak for after. Uh, a lot of cool people doing a lot of great stuff uh, after I left there. But yeah, I, this was a really cool story for me uh, because, I mean, when I was a young person, this was something I pushed for quite a bit. It was a big thing I was involved in, and it is really cool to watch it really come to fruition 15 years later. So Yeah, you were a really big part of sustainability stuff at UK, and yeah. that was like 
what you did in grad school too. It's true. Yeah, I was uh, one of the first employees the uh, Office of Sustainability. There's a great mm-hmm. picture that's actually been making the rounds on social media over the past week or so of several of my friends from college, like uh, doing the post from the Iwo Jima, like people raising the flag on Iwo Jima, but they're raising like a windmill on a big mound of coal at the coal plant. So that that was a fun picture. I remembered <laughs> that uh, I was a much younger person. I, I was skinnier <laughs> and didn't have a beard, but whatever. Uh, time marches on, Jasmine, and so does this. Uh, these quick hits. The last one, JCPS made explicit its plans to reappoint Marty Polio as superintendent. So Polio was named superintendent of the year by Kentucky by the Kentucky Association of School Administrators recently. Um, his contract was set to expire in March. So this is, you know, this is good news in my opinion. There has been a massive amount of turnover in superintendents, especially in larger districts like JCPS after COVID-19. A lot of people, I, we talk a lot about how mayors really struggled uh, in the midst of the pandemic and in 2020. Um, you know, sc- school superintendents are facing a lot of the same headwinds and are a lot of them are really fed up and are quitting their jobs, but not Marty Polio. Um, he, he has addressed a lot of the issues that have been brought forth in 2020, I think really well. Um, and I'm really looking forward to him, um, you know, spending some more time in Jefferson County to, to help us to address a lot of these issues. So he has a really high approval rating, I think, uh, in, in Louisville. So hopefully he's able to maintain that. All right, Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MyOldKYPod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter that comes out on Friday mornings, and you can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash newsletter. And of course, we have a Patreon page where you can support what we are doing for as little as a dollar a month. But if you come in at the $5 level, you'll be entered into our last t-shirt giveaway next week. You can do that at patreon.com slash podcast. And we are part of the Dimcast Network. And you can find all of these links also at linktree.com slash Podcast. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>